we talked about last week how we have to follow the will of God in order to facilitate kingdom growth. Uh, today we're going to talk about how we have to build the kingdom in truth. We have to build the kingdom in truth. Now, I think that any good, successful, long-term marriage is built in truth. Okay, when, when two parties come together and they lay all their cards out on the table and are clear about their expectations and what they want out of marriage and their thoughts and, and, and their beliefs and do they want kids, do they not want kids, uh, how are we going to do our bank accounts and how are we going to do this, how are we going to do that? Like you have to have everything out on the table in order to have a really strong, successful relationship. I think any good relationship is built in a foundation of truth. This can mean some really tough conversations. It can mean that you hear things you don't like. Worst case scenarios, it may mean that maybe you don't get married. Um, but it's important that these conversations take place. Now, I think that this is no different than when we seek to build the kingdom. And I'll explain. As Christians, we have to lay a foundation out that's set in truth, not just for ourselves, but for people that we are trying to bring into the kingdom of God as well. People need to have a very real, clear picture and set of expectations for what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be married to Christ. And so it's important that we as Christians are builders of truth that we make sure that people have a full, clear understanding of exactly what they're getting themselves into. We have too many Christians that expect rainbows and unicorns and instead get thunderstorms and hand grenades and then leave the faith never to return because they thought that everything was supposed to get easier. And that's not how it necessarily works. We have a duty to say it like it is, love them like they are, and tell the truth even when it may hurt. And here's the first truth. Repentance is mandatory. Repentance is mandatory. Matthew 4:17 says, "From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near." With these words, Jesus mimics John the Baptist in Matthew 3:2. It's the same proclamation that he made. The kingdom of heaven is near. See, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because Jesus has come. Heaven can now be touched. And I will argue that to, at this point today, we are closer to heaven than even they were in this time in Scripture. Why? Because Jesus' precious, perfect blood has been spilled to allow us to approach the Father, to allow us to enter into a lasting marriage with Him, and to allow us to one day experience eternity with Him. With each passing day, with each passing day, we are one monumental step closer to the coming of heaven. And if we want to be a part of it, and if we want others to be a part of it, then repentance is mandatory. It has to take place. We must preach it, we must live it, and we must facilitate it. That's a duty that we have. Luke 5, 31, 32 said, Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, in order for us to enter a marriage with God, we have to repent of the things that have separated us from God. We have to come to the table and lay out all our cards 
and say, this is where I have failed. This is where I have come up short. And true repentance, yes, is saying that we're sorry, but also it's dedicating ourselves to moving forward in a direction that's going to be different, to living our lives in a different way, a changed way, a reformed manner. Because of the relationship that we have with Christ, it should change us. It should make us different. Why? Because here's the second point. God's purpose is repentance. God's purpose is repentance. Romans 2, 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? 2 Corinthians 7, 9 says, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful, and God, as God intended, and so you were not harmed in any way by us. See, here's a hard truth. You ready for hard truth? Hard truth for you, hard truth for others. God's purpose is not to bless you. God's purpose is not to bless you. God's purpose is not to bring you healing. God's purpose is not to make your life easy. It's not to remove all obstacles and make sure that everything works out great for you. That's not God's purpose. Now, God may do any one of those things, okay? I'm not saying that that doesn't exist. I'm not saying that that's not part of his character and the kindnesses that he shows. But what I'm telling you is that's not his purpose. We saw uh, Aladdin, the, the, you know, the new Aladdin this week. And you rub the genie and you make the wish. Too many of us treat God like that. We rub the lamp. We pray every week or so when we really need something and hope that our wish comes true. That's not God's purpose. I want to make sure that you hear me correctly, okay? I'm not saying that God doesn't want to do some of these things for you or that he won't, okay? I don't want anybody going home and posting to Facebook or doing it now because we have technology at our fingertips that says, my pastor says God doesn't want to bless you right? Or my pastor says God doesn't want to heal you. Or my pastor says God doesn't care. Like, don't say that. Okay. Don't post that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that God has purposed himself. He has purposed himself to bring repentance about in our lives. That through all the many kindnesses that we experience through him, that all the good that we see in him, he acts almost as if he's a mirror for us. In which we look in and say, man, in light of who God is, I am not good. I need to repent of that which makes me not good so that I can enter this marriage with him, so that I can have a strong and lasting relationship built in truth and in understanding that God is not my magic genie and that God is not, you know, here to grant my every wish and make life easy and bless me and get me a raise and a nice car and a beautiful home and a great family. God may do any one of those things for you. He may do all of them for you. If so, congratulations. But God's purpose is through his kindness and goodness to bring about repentance in your life. That's his purpose. That's his purpose. And he does that. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He doesn't do it in a condescending way, right? But hey, just this is the truth. One of the things I love about reading stories about Jesus in the Bible is that when he taught, 
And when he called people to repent, it wasn't like this harsh, condemning way that he did things. Okay, at least not with non-believers. Now, there were some times where he got heated with believers who should have known better and had some righteous anger in his life. But with non-believers, he just laid it out. Here's the truth. This is your sin. Don't do it anymore. And that's how we need to live our lives as well. The same spirit of Christ, we talked about that last week. It was one of the verses, living in the same spirit of Christ, having the same spirit of Christ towards others. And this is part of it. This is part of it. You know, we, we had small group this week and Wednesday night and we were over at uh, Jack and Amanda's and uh, Mike and Shelly were there and, and uh, Shirley, Sarah, what? Her. Uh, sorry, that's an inside joke. Um, they were over there and, and we were doing this study. We're doing this study in Francis Chan and like what happens to me a lot of week, things that were said in small group don't really have a, a huge impact on me until I think about it as I go throughout the week. Well, there's this part of the story and he's talking about how God loves us in, in, in the same way that we love our children is how God loves us. And he's trying to illustrate that through his relationship with his kids. And they're interviewing his different kids, like their range in age groups. And there's really little ones that are super cute. And there's a daughter who just entered high school. And she's talking about her favorite memory of her dad. And her favorite memory of her dad was when he called her in a time in her life when she was not acting the way she should, not behaving the way she should, not living the way she should, to a time of repentance. It's, she said it was her favorite memory of her dad was a time when he corrected her path. It blew me away the more I thought about it. Now listen, we have skeptics. I'm sometimes skeptical. So I know that we can say, well, she was being recorded for a video and maybe that's why. I'm also a big fan of letting people's words be their words until they show you otherwise, if that makes sense. And so I'm taking her for her word and the fact that this is the favorite memory that she has of her father was a time when he called her to repentance for the way that she was living life. And she talked about how she felt so loved in that instance because it, her dad didn't yell at her, right? How, how awesome is that? Her dad didn't yell at her. Like I'm telling you, I never yell at my kids unless it's a Monday through Sunday. Um, her dad didn't yell at her. Like he didn't come down hard on her. He just laid it out. Hey, this is how you're living. This is why it's wrong. This is what I need from you. And Francis Chan talked about from that point, that conversation, something changed in her. Something clicked. And, and her life was redirected and she changed the way that she was living and things have been great since then. And he also talked about how, yeah, he's sure there will be storms in the future. But since that point, he's seen such a tremendous change in her. Because sometimes all people need to repent is just to hear the truth. And it's our job to facilitate that truth. This brings me to, our, to my next point. We have to call others to repentance. We have to call others to repentance. It's our duty. It's a job that we have as Christians. Okay? Fellow Christians, we must call to repentance. Non-believers, we must call to repentance. We can do that in the most loving way. In a way that's not condescending, in a way that's not judgmental, in a way that lays out all of our flaws and, and all of the things that we have maybe felt at, but just saying, hey, here's the truth. 
This is how we're supposed to live. You're not living that way. And I'm saying this because I love you and because I want what's best for you. I truly believe that. And so that's why this conversation, this tough conversation is being had. And it's important that we do that. Luke 17, three through four says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. We have to call others to repentance. Now you've heard me say it before and I just kind of explained how we do it is of ultimate importance. Okay? How we do it is of ultimate importance. Now here's the thing. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. And we have to call sin, sin. Part of building a foundation and biblical truth for others that we're bringing into the kingdom is not letting them think that something they're doing or some way they're living their life is not sinful. Yes, we can love people how they are, but that doesn't mean that they need to stay how they are. We should all be changing and transforming and becoming more Christ-like as we live life. Sin is sin. And the Bible lays it out pretty clearly. If you have questions on it, I would challenge you to read. You want to come talk to me about something? Do so. I'll give you the best answer I can. If I don't have a great answer, I'll tell you. I don't have a great answer. I don't know. I'll try to find you an answer and we will have a discussion. All right? That's my promise to you. But sin is sin. Call it as you see it but do so in a way to bring your brother and sister to repentance, not to anger them, not to belittle them, not to tear them down, not to make them feel less than or unworthy, just in a way to correct their steps and to bring them back to God. We need to make sure that people understand that we know as Christians that we're not better than they are. We're not even necessarily different than they are. We just have experienced a grace that they don't know yet. And that is available to them. We have to speak truth. We have to speak truth and we have to do so out of love. I don't spend as much time on Facebook these days as I used to. Um, but every now and then, uh, once or twice a week, I'll get on and just make sure I haven't missed a birthday invite or somebody asking me a question or something like that, so it doesn't seem like I just don't care about life. Um, and also, I want to say, if you're not on Facebook, no, it doesn't mean you don't care about life, but just, just to be clear, maybe you care about life more. Um, anyways, I'm on Facebook, and you know, Facebook has that memory thing now. Here's a memory from like eight years ago, seven years ago. Usually, it's great stuff. Here's a picture of Cordelia. Look how little she was. You know, and like, or or, hey, here's you at a birthday party or at a family event, and it's these memories that are brought up, and it's great memories, and you love it. Or it brings up a post that you posted a couple years ago, and you're like, man, I was smart. Look at that. That was a, I said something good there. Or, hey, that was really funny. Ha-ha, <laughs> I'm going to share this again because it's still funny, and I want people to know I'm funny, right? So there's a lot of good that can come from that. I had one this week, not good. Not good. Embarrassingly not good. It was eight years old, means I was 21. I was going through a huge struggle with one of a very good friend of mine. Um, that person was doing something in life that they should not have been doing. They needed to be called to repentance. 
That much I know is true and correct. So what did I do? I went and had a conversation with him. We talked one-on-one. It was loving. No. I posted about it on Facebook. No, I didn't tag them in it, but come on, they knew who I was talking to. It was really condescending. It was really rude. I was really angry. I read it this week and I wanted to throw up. Thank the Lord that in eight years I've grown up enough to know not to do that. I was angry. I remember the situation. I was angry. I felt lied to. I felt justified. It felt good. I was going to get him. The world was going to know that he was wrong and it wasn't me. And what an idiot I was. What an absolute idiot I was. Was he called to repentance? No. Did he get angry? I'm sure he did. Deservedly so. I don't think we've talked since that day. There were some other things I don't think we had talked days before that either, but did I do anything to repair a relationship? Did I do anything to show him Christ's love? Did I do anything to correct his steps and to show him, hey, I'm not mad, I'm not angry, this is just the truth, you're not living that way, and that needs to be corrected. Did I do that? No. You want to know what's worse? At the same time he was dealing with the struggle he was dealing with, I was dealing with the same struggle. I was just handling it a different way. And so somehow I took pride in that. Because somehow I was dealing with my sin in a godly way where he wasn't, and so that made me right. And that made what I was doing good. And that justified my actions. And I pushed that friend away from the church for a while. I was young. I was dumb. It's not an excuse. I was wrong. It was wrong then. It's still wrong eight years later. Part of me wishes that it never would have showed up. Part of me knows that God needed me to see that. We have to love the world. We have to love the world. But loving the world does not mean accepting the world the way that it is. And I want people to know that. You can still be loved and disagreed with. You can still be loved and disagreed with. Somebody doesn't think the way that you think, it doesn't mean that they don't love you. It doesn't mean that they don't care. Means that they have a different perspective and a different view on things. And they can still love you and say, hey, I think you're wrong here. But our society would tell you if somebody's not there to build you up and knit you a pillow and tell you how great your choices are, then you just need to get them out of your life. And that is a load of manure. I don't know how, I don't know a better way to say it. I'm. Sorry, Midwestern boy. It just is. So I would challenge you to be thick-skinned. Guys, I know that being called to repentance, being rebuked is not fun. My wife is really good at that for me, and, and thank the Lord for that. I need her to be. I'll do something that's not very godly and she'll say, okay, pastor, 
and it stings. I mean, it's, she might as well just punch me in the face. It hurts. And yet it's needed. And yet I know she does it because she loves me and she wants me to be my best me. Not to tear me down, not to make me feel bad, not to belittle me. Yes, I feel sorry, but that sorrow is there to bring me to repentance. Be thick skin. Let others call you to repent in ways that you need to repent. Okay? Let others be able to call you to repent in ways that you need to repent. And then here's a suggestion. Repent and move forward. Go and sin no more. People love you. They want you to be your best you. Maybe sometimes they don't approach it the right way. Like I did eight years ago. But know that you are loved. And you know what? If somebody tries to call you to repentance in a way that's not loving, do this. Admit to your fault, repent of it, and then call them to repentance. Because it works both ways. It works both ways. Be kingdom builders who lay a foundation of truth, who lay it all out and let people know exactly what they're getting themselves into. Because to be in a marriage with God and to be in a relationship with Christ, it requires that we deny ourselves daily and that we pick up our cross and we follow him, even if that's not the way that we want to go. I'm going to shut up now because I feel like I could talk on this for a while, but I'm going to stop. I would just ask that you be prayerfully considerate about my words this morning, about the words that I feel like God has placed on my heart to share with you. Join me in prayer now. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. From start to finish in this service, Lord, you have been present. In fact, everywhere we go, in every walk of life, at every minute of every day, you are present. And being a Christian is not easy. And people need to know that. And Lord, I, I feel like I know I'm speaking to a room of mostly believers, if not all believers today, but God, there's truth in this message for us as well because we have a very tough job to show the world their sin. And it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and we don't necessarily like it. Yet it's something that we have to do. And we can do that in a loving way. We can do that in a caring way. We can do that in a way that says, I just want what's best for you. Help us to be people who have the courage to call sin, sin. And the love in our hearts to care about people anyways. We could all have sin that defines us. We could all be people who are our bruises and our bumps. But you have called us to something greater, to repentance. And through repentance, grace. And because of that grace, forgiveness. We thank you for that. Help us to be people who facilitate that, who live that out in our lives.
and who are there for others when they need that to be a part of their life as well. We ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.